0: Section 13 of Astounding Stories 15, March 1931. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Astounding Stories 15, March 1931, by Various. Beyond the Vanishing Point, by Ray Cummings. Chapter 11 The Combat of Size. The astounded Poulter was taken wholly by surprise. He could have had no idea that anyone was following him. He thought he was alone with the tiny babs in this rock-strewn metal desert. What he saw as he scrambled to his feet were four insect-sized humans, two of them at a distance and two within reach of him, and all of them scampering in different directions. The ground was littered with crags and boulders was ridged and pitted, pockmarked, with tiny crater-holes and caves. The four scuttling figures almost instantly had disappeared from his sight. I did not see where Babs went. I turned from the black vial of Poulter's enlarging-drug, and with the huge pellet under my arm I ran leaping over the rough ground and flung myself into a gully. I lay prone, flattened against a rock. In the murky distance of a pseudo-sky overhead the monstrous head and shoulders of Poulter were visible. I could see down to just below his waist. The empty cage with its door flapping open hung against his shirt-front. He had stooped to try and recover Babs. And instinctively his hands went to his belt to seize his enlarging drug. They were fumbling there now. He held out an opalescent vial of the diminishing element. But his black vial was gone. His frown spread into fear as he searched for it in the other compartments of his belt. I had thought that he had more than one black vial, but now it seemed not. His huge face was swept with the panic of terror. He flung a wild glance around him. Through the open end of my gully I saw in the distance, miles away, the enlarging figure of Alan rising up. Then it ducked back of a distant rocky peak. Poulter undoubtedly saw it. He was fumbling with his opalescent vial, and with confused panic upon him he made the mistake of taking the diminishing drug, and instantly seemed to regret it. His curse rumbled above me, his glance went down to the rocks at his feet, and there he saw lying his black vial with its stopper out. His body already was beginning to dwindle. He stooped, seized the vial and took the enlarging drug. The shock of it made him stagger momentarily he disappeared from my line of vision, but I could hear his panting breath and the unsteady pound of his footsteps. I still held the huge round ball of the drug. I seized a loose stone and frantically knocked off a chunk—heaven knows how much I do not! I shoved it into my mouth, chewed and hastily swallowed it. And with the lurching, swaying, shrinking gully closing in upon me, I ran to get out of its distant open end. I was heading toward where Alan and his father were lurking. I came from the gully into the open, just as the walls closed behind me. The whole scene was a dizzying blurred sway of contracting movement. I saw that I was in a circular valley now some five miles in diameter, with its jagged enclosing walls rising sheerly perpendicular out of sight in the haze overhead. Poulter had staggered backward. I saw him a mile or so away. His back at that instant was turned to me. He was now no more than three or four times my own height. He scrambled against the valley cliff wall as though trying to find a foothold to climb up it. He went a little way, but fell back. Near me, Allen and old Dr. Kent suddenly appeared. I was larger. They flung themselves at my knees. Alan gasped, "'You! George! You got Babs?' "'Yes. Babs is around here somewhere. Stay down here. Don't lose her in size. Stay small.' search and—'But, George! I'll tackle Poulter! I've taken—God, I don't know how much I've taken of the drug!' They were shrinking down by my boot-tops," Alan shouted suddenly,—'There's Babs! Thank God, there's Babs!' She was too small. I could not see her nor even hear her, though she must have been calling to them. Alan again screamed up at me with his little voice,—'She's here, George! You, go on and get Poulter!' I can't overtake you—you you haven't enough of the drug!" His tiny voice was fading away. "'Go on and get him, George! This time—get him!' I swung with a staggering step around to face the open valley. It was shrunken now to barely half a mile of width. Its smooth walls rose some two or three thousand feet to an upper circular horizon with murky distance overhead. Poulter stood across from me. He had tried to climb out, but could not. He saw me and came lurching. We were a quarter of a mile from each other. I ran forward through a shifting scene of shrinking rock walls and crawling, contracting ground. Quarter of a mile, it seemed hardly more than a score of running strides before Poulter loomed close ahead of me. He was still nearly twice my size. I stooped, seized a loose boulder and flung it. I missed his face, but as his hand went up carrying a bared knife-blade, by fortunate chance the stone struck his wrist. The knife dropped to the rocks. He stooped to recover it, but I was upon him. As I felt his huge arms go around me, half lifting me, my foot struck the knife. But in an instant it was swept down into the smallness beneath us as we expanded above it. Both of us were unarmed in this combat of size. I was a half-grown youth in Poulter's first grip upon me. I heard his panting words, grimly triumphant, this George Randolph, I have been waiting for so many, many years. The hunchback takes his revenge now. He lifted me. His great arms were horribly powerful, but I could feel them dwindling. I was enlarging faster. Just a few moments, if I could last a few moments. My feet were off the ground, my chest close pressed against the little golden cage between us. He had a hand shoving back my head. His fingers sought my throat. I wound my legs around him and then he tried to throw me down and fall upon me. But we had twisted and my back was to the cliff. The rocks were shoving at us, insistently pushing with almost a living movement. Poulter staggered with me, his grip on my throat tightened, shutting off my breath. My senses whirled. His grim, sardonic face over me was blurred to my sight. I tore futilely at my throat to break his choking grip. All the world was a roaring chaos to my fading senses. Then, in the blur, I saw horror sweep his expression. His fingers involuntarily loosened. I got a breath of blessed air, gasping, and my sight cleared. Walls were closing around us. We were in a pit barely ten feet wide, with the top a few feet above Poulter's head. The nearer wall shoved us again. Our bodies almost filled the shrinking pit. Poulter lurched and cast me off. I half fell, striking my shoulder against the opposite wall, and I saw Poulter leap at the dwindling brink and scramble out. I was nearly wedged. As I rose, the top of the pit only reached my waist. Poulter had fallen on the upper ground and was on hands and knees. Instead of standing up, he lurched at me, tried to shove me back. But I was out. I clutched at him. We were almost of a size now." We rolled on the ground, locked together, rolled to the brink of the pit and over it, as it shrank to a little round hole unnoticed beneath our threshing bodies. At the side of the circular valley Allen and Dr. Kent crouched with a smaller figure of Babs between them. They saw poultry and me as two swaying gigantic forms locked in a death-struggle, towering against the sky. Tremendous expanded bodies. They saw us come to grips—saw the great hunched poulter bend me backward, choking me. Our bodies lurched. Our huge legs with a single step brought us to the center of the valley. It was a shrinking valley to Alan, Babs and Dr. Kent, for they too were enlarging. But the fighting giant figures were growing faster. In only a moment their shoulders were up there in the sky, pressing against the narrowing cliff walls." Alan gasped but George will be crushed! Look at him!" Horror swept them as they crouched watching. The enormous pillars of Poulter's legs towered straight up from near at hand. Alan was aware of himself screaming, "'George, out! You're too large! Too large for in here!' As though his microscopic voice could reach me, my head hundred of feet above him. But he screamed it again. This was all in a few horrible moments, though it seemed to the three watchers an eternity. Alan was helpless to aid me. They had taken all of the enlarging drug they had. Then they saw Poulter cast me off. I lurched and struck, with my shoulders wedged against the cliff directly over where they crouched. The overhead sky was darkened as Poulter scrambled upward. Alan was still screaming futilely, "'George! Up! Get out!' Babs huddled with white, horrified face staring. Then I went out after Poulter. My disappearing legs were great dark blurs in the sky. Alan saw the valley now contracted to a thousand feet of width, with its cliffs equally as high. Then everything was smaller. The sky overhead went dark again, from cliff to cliff a segment of our rolling bodies momentarily spanned the opening. And presently Alan realized that the valley had narrowed to a pit. He stood up. "'Hurry! Now we can get out after them!' Up there! The opening above was empty. Poulter and I were fighting some distance away. Dr. Kent was soon large enough to scramble out of the pit. Alan handed the little babs up to him and followed. Alan saw that they were now in a long gully, blind at one end, with a five hundred foot perpendicular cliff. Against the wall the titanic form of Poulter stood at bay, and I was fronting him. The summit of the cliff was lower than our waists, Triumph swept Alan; he saw that I was the larger as Poulter bored into me, my backward step crossed the full width of the gully. Alan shouted, Down, Bab's father! They had barely time to flatten themselves in a narrow crevice between upstanding rocks before my foot crashed down for an instant. The sole of my boot formed a flat black ceiling as it trod and spanned the rocks. then it lifted was gone with a blurred swoop they saw the white blur of my hand come down and snatch a tremendous boulder, raising it with a great sweep of movement into the sky. They saw me crash it against Poulter, but it only struck his shoulder. He roared with anger. The whole sky was roaring and rumbling with our shouts and our panting breathing, and the ground was clattering, pounding with our giant tread. Huge loose boulders were tumbling in an avalanche everywhere. Again it seemed to Alan that our lurching, heedlessly surging bodies must be crushed within these contracting walls. Only our locked, intertwined legs were visible. Our bodies were lost in the sky. Then it seemed to Alan that I had heaved Poulter upward, and followed him. We disappeared. There was a distant overhead rumble, and the murky sky, with vague patches of far-distant illumination in it, became empty of movement. The walls presently were again closing upon Alan and his companions. They ran out of the open end of the shrinking little gully and came to a new upward vista. I found myself a full head and shoulders taller than Poulter. And he was tiring, panting heavily. His face was cut and bleeding from the blows of my fists. The rock I heaved struck his shoulder. He roared, head down, and bored into me. He was heavier than I. His weight flung me back. My foot slid on the loose stones of the gully floor. I did not know that Babs Allen, and their father were huddled under those stones. My back struck the opposite wall. Poulter's upflung knee caught me in the stomach, all but knocking the breath from me. He was desperate, oblivious to the closing walls, and as he flung his arms with a grip about my neck, hanging, trying to bear me down, I saw in his blazing dark eyes what seemed the light of suicide. I think that then, with a sudden frenzied madness, he realized that he was beaten, and he tried to pull us to the ground and let the walls crush us. I summoned all my remaining strength and heaved us forward. I broke his hold. His body was jammed back against a lowering wall. Its top seemed almost at our knees. I shoved frantically. He fell backward and I jumped after him. We were on a great rocky plateau. But it was shrinking, crawling into itself. Spots of light were in the murk overhead. There seemed a distant circular horizon of emptiness around us. Poulter was lying in a heap. But it was trickery, for as I incautiously bent over him, his hand crashed a rock against my head. I reeled, with all the world turning black, but did not fall. There was a horrible instant when my senses were going, but I fought to hold them blood from a wound on my forehead was streaming in my eyes. I was staggering. Then I realized I was grimly tossing my head, shaking the blood away, and little by little my sight came back. Poulter was on his feet, rushing me. His fist came with an upward swing at my chin, but I ducked my head aside at the last moment. And suddenly, fighting up there in the open, my mind envisaged how gigantic we were. This was a great upland plateau rounded with miles of distance and a shadowy, dimly radiant abyss beyond its circular horizon. And I was a thousand feet or more tall, a titan looming here in the sky. My fist quite unexpectedly caught Poulter's jaw. His simultaneous swing went wild, though I leapt backward from it. He staggered, and his arms dropped to his sides. I was crouched forward, guarded, watching him while I gasped for breath. There was the briefest of instants when an expression of vague surprise swept his face, but I had not knocked him out. It was death overtaking him. His heart was yielding, overtaxed from this strain, and I think there at the last he realized it. The blood drained suddenly from his face and lips, leaving them livid. I saw fear then a wild horror in his eyes. He stood swaying. Then his knees gave way and he toppled. He fell from his height in the air where I stood gazing at him, fell forward on his face, his titanic length spread all across the top of this rocky landscape. For a moment I did not move. My head was reeling, my ears roaring. Blood streamed into my eyes, I wiped it away with a torn sleeve and stood panting, gazing at the glowing distance around me. I was a titan standing there. The body of Poulter was shrinking at my feet. The circular abyss of emptiness came nearer as this rocky eminence contracted. Suddenly my attention went to the sky overhead. Vague distant lights were there. Then a broad flat blur seemed spread over me. Light everywhere was growing. Beyond the nearby brink of the abyss, was a white-reflected radiance from beneath. Abruptly I realized there was a level, flat-white plain running far off there in the distance. Overhead a radiance contracted into a spot of light. A shape in the sky moved. I heard a far-away rumble, a human voice. The body of Poulter lay at my feet. It was hardly the length of my forearm as I stood, a titan and then, with a shock of realization, I saw how tiny I was. This was the broken top of that fragment of golden quartz the size of a walnut. I was standing there, under the lens of the giant microscope in Poulter's dome-room laboratory, with half a dozen astounded Quebec police officials peering down at me. End of chapter 11